she's a journalist and New York Times best-selling author. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. He's a record label owner and entrepreneur. They're both into skinny margaritas. And these Seattleites don't mind getting caught in the rain. I'm Sarah Geo. And I'm Brandon Ebell. And this is the Mod About You podcast. Are you ready to have a whole lot of fun? Let's do this. Oh, hey, guys. So we are so excited to have our guests today, Megan and Mike Tamti, the co-founders of Evereve, this incredible boutique, nationwide boutique in the U.S. with more than 85 stores and 1,500 employees. I'm a fan. I've been shopping there for years, and I think you guys are going to love them. Here we are. Let's welcome Megan and Mike. We thought we would start out by asking you to talk a little bit about yourselves and maybe each of you could give us a brief hello and who you are as human beings and people before we get into all the cool stuff. Yes, I am Megan Tamty. I am the co-CEO and co-founder of Ever Eve, and I am also the wife to Mike. We've been married for 24 years, is it? We're going to go with 24 years. 23, Very impressive. 23, 23 and a half. 23 and a half. And I'm also mom to two adult children, which is so weird to say now, Allison, who is 21, and then Ryan, who is 19. We live in Edina, Minnesota, and we have the cutest little golden doodle in the world named Paddington Bear. Full disclosure, I had nothing to do with naming Paddington Bear. (laughs) There you go. Or getting the dog. But I will say that he is cute. He Does is, he have a no. nickname? I mean, do you call lots. him? Yeah. Lots so you don't call him Mr. Paddington Bear. Oh, all we the do time. that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We call him Mr. Pat- yep. I'm surprised that he even knows his name because we have so many nicknames for him. <laughs> <laughs> and everything doodle is good these days. Oh, I know. Oh, that. Dude, we call him dudes. He's just, yeah. Doodles oh my gosh. Are just he's a lover. Mm. Dudes are cute. <laughs> everything doodle, right? Everything doodle. <laughs> Brandon and I are probably not going to have any babies together, but I kind of think we should get a doodle. I think doodles are the closest thing to having a baby. Yeah. Brandon, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, we have six kids, so let's see. <laughs> Mike, tell us about you then. Sure. Mike Tampty, co-founder and co-CEO of Evereve, and again, husband to Megan. Megan and I met each other in college. I was a junior she was a freshman. It's amazing. I swept her off her feet. Yes. <laughs> her freshman year, fall term, and we've been together ever since. I am from Minnesota, and that's the reason why we live in Minnesota. Megan, you're not from Minnesota. I was raised in Chicagoland. Okay. Suburbs. Yeah. But I'm a huge Minnesota freak. Love Minnesota. Megan loves Minnesota men. That's <laughs> They're why. cute. Wow. They're cute. So wait, I so want to... That's me. Who, what is a Minnesota man? Like, no, what I describes a Minnesota... I don't know. Are My... they, like, really outdoorsy? Kind of outdoorsy. And cute. I just thought in college they were kind of cute. I don't know. Yeah. Mike looks like a Minnesota guy to me. (laughs) I would hope so. Let's talk about the beginning of Evereve. So I have heard some amazing stories, which speak to me as someone who's very passionate about, you know, the way I started my work, which is writing books. I was writing, 
you know, little stories when I was seven years old. And it sounds like this was a sort of a slow burn for you, Megan, Mm -hmm. where you had this idea over time. And I read that you, you know, went to the library and read books about business to like really kind of like immerse yourself in all Mm -hmm. of this. And you were a mom and Mm -hmm. you were were in education, Mm -hmm. right? You were a teacher. I was a trained third grade teacher. Yes, Yes, that's what I did. And you had this idea. So bring us back to the beginning of that and, you know, from those early days. Yeah. Yeah. I was not expecting this. I was, it really just happened after a really terrible shopping experience. I was a new mom with a young child and really just looking for fashion one day, feeling like I wanted to go shopping and was hoping that I could find some clothing that would bring some joy into my life because I just had a baby. It was kind of feeling frumpy. And so I set out on this day to find some joy and ended up having just a terrible, horrible experience in a dressing room. What I was looking for that day was help. I wanted help with clothing that would fit my body type. I wanted outfitting help. I didn't have a lot of time for myself. I wanted someone to really help me put outfits together. And I did not get that that day. The second thing I wanted was I wanted fashion that was age appropriate, modern, contemporary, but still had a little bit about edge for me as a mom. So I wanted this fashion that would make me feel kind of young and Mm -hmm. still have a little edge, but still be appropriate for my age. And finally, I wanted connection. I wanted a store where people would talk to me and people would take care of me and love me. And I could go and feel a sense of community because I think I was lonely at that time in my life. And I didn't experience any of those things that day. So instead, I ended up in a dressing room crying. And it was on that drive home from the horrible experience that the idea of every was sort of born on that that drive. That is a great story. Yeah. So you're in a dressing room crying. Mm -hmm. Like were your children melting down? My daughter was crying. I was crying. (laughs) I was, and it it was such a lonely, horrible, terrible experience. And I remember thinking I'm probably not the only woman who has had a horrible experience in a dressing room that day. I've had bad experiences a million times over. I have three boys, but I can tell you your company and with I mean, I don't know how you hire the people you hire, both of you, but they're lovely people and they're welcoming and they're easy with kids. And I don't know, I drag my boys in there all the time. They really do make the vision. You know, I'm so proud that the vision that I had that day, the idea, I really do feel like for the most part, it does get executed. And that amazes me because this is now 21 years later. My daughter, you know, and it's like, it's amazing because I feel like we do deliver that. So how do you go from crying in a dressing room to, I have this idea that I want to launch and I want to make it big time. Like, how do you take it from that level to what you've built? Did you come home and tell your husband, you know, I need to do this? Yeah, I think it started with talking about it with my friends, my husband. I had a good friend I walked with every day at four o'clock and it was on those walks. Wait, is this 4 a.m.? No, four in the afternoon. Okay, I was going to Yeah, say, during the horrible baby. You like, are a better human being yeah, than Yeah, no, me, it was four in the afternoon. That. I walked with this woman named Christy every day. And I remember the, for the first time telling her about this concept that I created on these walks. And it was, I'm so grateful for her because she was a friend 
we were two moms and we would get together and instead of talking about our kids, it sounds a little selfish, but it's really not. We would talk about our dreams. Not and, selfish. And she was nope. such a good friend because I loved being her because we would talk about like, what are the things you think about beyond your kids? And what are the dreams you have? And it was on those walks that I fully think I expressed this dream that I had for the store and would tell her about it. And at that point, it was just a dream. It was never, ever supposed to be a reality. So it's, I think, just starting to talk about it to your friends. Mm-hmm. Mike and I would go on date nights and it would be what we would talk about. We would sit at restaurants and we'd be like, oh, this concept that we have and we would dream about it and talk about it. And we would talk about it, I would say, for years and years and years. We would talk, I would talk How about many it. Would years? Talk, how many years do you think we talked about it? How many years did you talk five, about it? Five years, like for me, mm-hmm. from the time it was an idea to the time we opened I mean, our I store. I think that, that is so interesting, mm-hmm. the fact that you thought about this idea, which, by the way, there's many, many women's clothing stores, but yeah. you had this idea that you wanted one that was friendly. Very specific. Specific. Mm-hmm. With specific But clothes. also great products for everybody, but that was like very friendly to moms and, mm-hmm. you know, okay. And then you think about that for five years. Yeah. I will say there were points where we put it to rest. Like I look in that journey and I, I was like, you know, talk about it, talk about it, nothing happens. And then you kind of like stop talking about it, but it kept coming back. Like the idea kept uh, popping up. That must up. be encouraging though <laughs> to everybody listening right now that you can have a dream and like dream about it for five years <laughs> yeah. before even trying. I tell people that. It I mean, time. that's pretty cool though. Well, like, what do you yeah. say, Megan? I, I read on your Instagram something about, it was like a mantra or something that you have that you believe in that good things take time. Yes. Is that, is that I what, believe that. Yeah. Yes. And that resonated with I me. I love that you read that. <laughs> and I and it, it hit me and I got the goosebumps and I read it because I think these days a lot of people think, well, they just want it fast. You yeah. Know, something to happen, their passion, their dream, they yeah. want it to happen fast. And a lot of people ask me, what's the quick tip to write a novel? Like, how can I write a novel really fast? And I'm thinking, oh gosh, well, the truth is it's really boring and grueling and you, yeah. you have to stay home and not do anything and write. And it's hard. It's it takes hard. Time. Yeah. 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 And, and hard work. And, um, but I love that. I think yeah. that that's a message that we don't hear a lot because it's not super glamorous. We right. want it now and we want it fast. Right. And, there's a really good children's book called What to Do with an Idea. Mm, and it's, I don't know that it's one. beautiful. And it talks about this idea that what we have to do is just nurture those ideas. Like just mm. nurture them. I love you know, that. don't don't let them die. Like they might die, but they come back. But I think that idea of just like you don't have to do anything right away with an idea. Just nurture it. Just sit with it. Let it stay with you. I love that. And I feel like that is part of what happened during that five years is it was sort of like we kind of just let it stick with us and it kind of stayed there and it definitely came popping back up like here I am <laughs> like I'm not going away so then after five years mm-hmm. Mike you're there and what made you guys after five years say let's take this risk mm-hmm. and try to start a company I mean had you started other companies together or have no you- no this was the first time I think Megan's a great dreamer and she is an idea person. I was just going to say, I feel like Megan and I are simpatico in the way she described ideas. And some people are idea people. And yeah. and it's funny when you, are you someone who gets lots of ideas? Too many. Too many. Okay, ideas. I am too. This is why I know I will always have a career in books is I have too many ideas. Yeah. But it's choosing the one that rises it's hard. to the top yeah. that snags you, right? Mm-hmm. Then every have nagged at you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of ideas, still a lot of ideas, as Megan mentioned so, you know, when we were talking, when Megan was talking about us going on dates, we would start to talk about viability. And I think that's what happened four or five years later after the birth of the idea of Evereve 
we started talking about viability and economic viability and going through a business plan. I asked Megan, Megan, put all of your thoughts on a piece of paper and let's create a business plan for it to see if the model can work. Had you ever made a business plan before? Um, I had. You know, I'm an accountant by trade. I'm a CPA by trade. And so that was something that was natural to me is to just put some ideas together and to start doing some research to see if this can make sense. And so that's what we did. Megan put all of her ideas down. We did a lot of soul searching. We did a lot of research. We read a lot of books on retail. How can we this be special? Because if you're going to do something special, it might cost more money or less money. So we put all those ideas on a business plan. We created it. That's where it started after five years. I love that you believed in her, that you weren't like, all right, honey, this is like, there are lots of boutiques out there now. It was so, so, okay. So, so I think this is important for people to know, because I think a lot of people do dream. Megan has a lot of ideas. And so there were a lot of times when I said, well, let's skip that idea. And I think that's okay. But Megan also had a lot of good ideas. Every was one of them. And I latched onto that and said, I think this is viable. Put Mm. the business plan together. And it was fun actually doing some research because neither Megan nor I were from retail or from fashion. And so we had to figure out how much does rent cost? How much do we pay people? What cost a good soul? We had no idea. So we had to sort of surreptitiously, we had to go and find out some of that information, call random retailers. Hey, if I'm looking for a job, how much do you pay? (laughs) And we could figure out, we sort of put the pieces of the puzzle together. I do remember we felt like our idea was very differentiated. I remember we felt like, okay, clearly we're not the first like women's fashion owners, like of stores, but we felt like we would be the first one to do what we were doing, which was to really offer this experience to women that were like me or moms that were craving help wanting clothing with a little bit of edge and attitude, but still age appropriate and really wanting a place to connect and engage and be in community. So we really felt like that would be different than what other brands were doing. So that I think really elevated the idea. We were passionate about that. I think, you know, our origin story is a store for moms and we knew moms were identifiable. Megan and I read a book called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And the first immutable law of marketing, I think, is called leadership and be a leader in your category. Mm -hmm. And we weren't going to be the first clothing store. We weren't going to be the first women's clothing store, but we could be the first women's clothing store. Specialized in styling moms. Yeah. How did you come across that book? My brother recommended it. And I recommend it. It's a quick read. When we designed the store, we designed the company, we wanted it to be unique, we wanted it to be special, and we designed the store experience to be for our target market based on Megan's experience in that dressing room that first day. We wanted to be the antithesis of what she experienced that first day. And so... Oh, you guys have done it. I'm just going to tell you. So So I've gone in with two boys, two fussy boys, where I needed to find an outfit for something. And these employees that you have are truly, they're so kind. And I'm frazzled and one is melting down and they're giving him a little treat of some sort and distracting him. And I'm in the dressing room and they're saying, maybe you could just tuck it in a little like this. (laughs) Or I've got this great idea of like this thing you could put over. I'm like, okay, good. That's what I need. (laughs) That's so awesome. So it really is, I mean, 
and I and I'm like it's legit. I'm a fan, and you know I'm so honored to have you guys here and hearing the the story of you guys because oh. you've really done that. You've really created that. Oh, well, and thank you. That part, yeah. part of it was fun. Another book that we read was Paco Underhill's Why We Buy, huh. and what he does is he researches consumer behavior, and we knew a lot of customers were going to come in with their kids, and so we asked our daughter, "Hey, Allison, what would you like in a store that would interest you while mom shops?" And so she thought computer video games. So all of our first stores had computer video games that kids could play while mom shops. We have toys, toddler train table in the middle of the store. We have toys in the dressing rooms. And I remember shopping with my mom and I was always tugging on her sleeve yeah, you're so throughout bored. the whole process. Or like uh, hiding in the wheel yeah. of the, right? you know, oh, the, yeah, the rounder. Yeah, the yes, rounder. I was exactly. always hiding no, exactly. in one of those. We could always find fun <laughs> things to do in those rounders. Yeah. But what we did is based on how we designed the store, we found that mom was done shopping before the child was ready to leave our store. And wow. so whether it was the goldfish crackers, graham crackers, or the toys in the dressing room, toddler train table, video games, whatever it was, we felt like we could capture a child's attention for 45 minutes while mom shops. I love it. Oh my gosh. Brandon, have you been shopping with your kids recently? Have you ever tried on clothes with your, trying to try on clothes with your kids? No. No. So guys no, don't no. do this. They like, don't do that. No. Well, I mean, I have a couple times with my son who's 14. I'm like, just sit there. <laughs> I mean, but not often, you know, I most, you know, not a guys lot. Guys shop but, yeah. so our, differently. Our stylists, our employees in our stores are called stylists. We actually, our stylists on their own actually just wanted to hold children while mom also shopped. So I think that was also really a fun part. So moms would come in with their young kids and our stylist would say, I, can I take your child while you go into the dressing room? And so I would sometimes go into the store and there was one of our stylists carrying a customer's baby. They really, wow, I mean, that's yeah, they really do care. And I think because so much of our story was born out of wanting to take care of women, it wasn't born out of me wanting to elevate my fashion. It was very others focused on wanting to make sure no one experienced what I experienced that day. I think we have a very strong culture of purpose and our stylists that work in our stores are there because they love fashion, but we're successful because they love fashion, but they love people more mm. and they want to take care of the women. So that is, in my opinion, why you experience that is because they have found a company that allows them to enjoy fashion, which they love, but it also allows them to find great meaning and purpose in the work in serving and loving and taking care of the women that come through our doors. But here you guys are, you've never owned your own business. Mm -hmm. You're in accounting and you're like, we need to, I guess I'm assuming get a loan of some kind, or we have some family money or something, but you're going to start this business. You have to find the first location, right? You have to go buy all the clothes. Mm -hmm. You have to hire people and tell them your vision. Mm -hmm. How are you going to treat your customers? Yeah. I mean, tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, yeah. how nerve wracking, right? I mean, if this doesn't work, horrible. what would happen? It was, like, you know, yeah. it was very nerve wracking. So Megan and I, we didn't have a lot of money when we opened the business. And so we did, we raised money from friends and family. We also got a, a small business loan. So in the very beginning, that's how we funded the operation. We also, that first store, we put a lot of sweat equity into it. I think we built that first store for like $60,000, maybe $80,000. It was not a lot of money. My brother built the cash wrap. Mike's mom stained it. I mean, it was really a the labor of love. I am the world's slowest painter. It took me two <laughs> weeks to paint the ceiling. When we made that business plan, Mike had created a financial model that produced a number 
that was $1,500, which was the number that we would need to hit in sales every day to break even. So remember when I think I like talking about that number because that was really important in deciding should we move forward with this concept or not? Because he was like, okay, Megan, this is the number that if we open the store, you're going to need to hit in sales every day. And do, is that you, daunting do you? you think that's, well, I just took time to think about it. Like I remember like he put this number out there and I remember thinking about it and he broke it down into like how many pair of pants and how many sweater, you know, and I remember just in my mind, like thinking about it, like, do you think I can sell this many jeans and this many? And I thought, well, like my mom would probably buy some and my neighbor, <laughs> you know, like I remember going through that, like, and I really, after processing it, I'm a thinker and I process things. And then I remember coming back and I remember telling myself, yeah, I think I can do that number. Like that feels like a number that's achievable. So that was, I think, really important part of this because had I said no, we probably wouldn't have done it. But really like getting that solid number because that was the number that then we knew when we opened, like I was not going to leave that store at night until like, I hit that number. Because pretty much when we signed that lease on that first store, we signed a million dollar personal guarantee and we didn't have a million dollars. And I remember before we signed the lease, like talking about like, okay, so if we don't hit that number, will we lose our house? Mike was like, yes. Will we lose our car? Probably not. Like we walk through all wow. the things we would lose if we didn't hit that number. So again, I remember him walking through like what we would lose, what we wouldn't. And I remember thinking about like, are you okay losing these things if you don't hit that number? You know, and telling myself- That's scary. Uh, you know, so that was terrifying. Yeah. For me, it yeah. was terrifying. It was terrifying. But again, Megan and I didn't have a lot of money. So the, the pain <laughs> threshold was pretty low. That's the great thing about starting a business when you don't have money. It's like, oh, well, we lose it. We don't have a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, we'll just, you know, start over. <laughs> and, you know, we're both, I was, I'm a teacher. He's a trained CPA. So we kind of knew like, okay, if this whole thing does not work and we don't hit that number. Our friends and family will kill us. I, right. I, yeah. And I, envi I actually remember envisioning ourselves in my parents' basement, like, would I mean, you no like I really did family, like man. I was like the family could move into my parents basement I could get a teaching job like I did think worst case scenario and would you be comfortable with that worst case scenario but I think that's an important conversation because that number gave us a lot of like there was a lot like we had to figure out to get to that number every day. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to go live in your mom's basement. I, I don't know, think you ever shared I, that with me. I thought that about is, that. Well, the night we, before the we pain signed, threshold the just got larger. We, the night before we sold the lease, like signed the lease. I remember I went for a long walk. I mean, if you knew that, I don't know if this I know. Have, he'd the, be like, let's not do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Almost all of our friends and family who did invest in that first round, they told us later, fortunately later. Yeah. In our minds, we wrote that investment yeah, off. They, they were like, <laughs> you know, we kind of felt sorry for you. Or we just wanted you to stop talking about this We thing. really didn't believe <laughs> we didn't believe in you that much. <laughs> so I that was it. important. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So then you, did you start making the numbers right away? We did. We did. You know, that's great. So we had two numbers. We had the uh, $1,500 fake a numbers day. that you showed your friends and family and then the real, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the $1,500 a day where we could keep the house. That's the break even. Anything less than that, this thing is going to go in the toilet. $2,500 a day was going to be the number that we knew this has promise and enough promise for us to open a second store. So we opened in November 2004 and by February 2005, four months into it, we were well over the $2,500 a day. So we actually opened our second store nine months after we opened our first store because the model worked. And I want to say it wasn't easy. I think what I was reassured by, I remember when we opened, it wasn't perfect. There was certainly things we had 
to learn, especially about the product assortment and what women wanted. And we had to make adjustments. We learned right away. I think that was one thing we did that was so smart was we really were quick to make adjustments to the product assortment. So we learned a lot about what she wanted and what she didn't want and adjusted really fast. But I think what was most promising was because I didn't have a lot of expertise in a lot of other things, I had never done this before, I decided I'm going to just tell people the truth about who I am and what I'm doing. And so when women would come in, there was a lot of pressure like, oh, were you a buyer? Did you have retail experience? Are you in the fashion? I was like, no, none of those things. That's what I think is so fascinating (laughs) is that, you know, you didn't come from the fashion industry, which is such a fickle, like particular industry. I could have so easily, and I'm so grateful, I could have so easily pretended that I knew what I was doing, but I chose to just tell my story. Yeah. And the story was, no, I'm just a mom like you who wanted a clothing store that would help me, (laughs) that would be nice to me, that would welcome my kids. And so I just felt like telling the honest story. For me, it was like the only thing I could do, like the perfect thing I could do. And they were like, they connected to that. They were like, this is amazing. And from that, we learned, we're able to learn so much from them about the product and about the experience and what they wanted and what they didn't want. And we were so open to learning from them, right? I think if you came from the fashion world, this may not have been a success. Hmm. I Uh think Megan was so open to the flexibility. She wanted to offer a product that customers wanted rather than what the founder wanted. Hmm. You know, Megan certainly had had a vision. You had a vision in mind and there were guardrails in terms of where you would go and where you wouldn't go, but you were very open to what customers wanted. Yes, That is so fascinating. I love that. It's about the vision. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. really a company born out of a vision versus, you know, a certain training or degree or something, you know, like 20 years and, you know, writing for Vogue say, you know, I think that's actually for a lot of listeners, I think really encouraging, you know, someone who is really passionate about an idea, but maybe doesn't have, you know, 10 years in this genre to do it. Like, why not do it? Right. You know, if you're passionate about it. Yep. Megan was also very good about asking for input from our customers Mm. and Megan would say, well, what brands do you like? And they would actually hop on the computer right there in the store and uh-huh. pull up different websites. And the customers would say, I like that, I like that, I like that. And then two weeks later, some of that product and brands would actually show mm-hmm. up in our store because Megan ordered think, them. Yeah. So Megan did a really mm-hmm. nice job of listening to customer feedback in terms of what they wanted, but also, again, within the guardrails of what Megan's vision, original vision was for the product. Yeah, I think I have good instinct on it, but I'm open to learning from the customer and always was. And I think that was a huge competitive advantage. And you were, in some ways, you were the core customer, though. I think when you were looking for a product and a service that you couldn't find elsewhere mm-hmm. in the yeah, industry. I love that so much because that that's what I do with my novels. So mm-hmm. when I sit down to write a book, obviously I think about my reader, but ultimately I'm writing a story for myself, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. I'm writing a story that I'm entertained by, right. that I'm interested by, right. that I'm curious about. You know, I've tried to write things that I think would be commercially quote unquote successful back in my early days. It didn't hold my attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just tell a story that's from my heart and yeah. that I'm passionate about and that just all your saying tonight resonates with yeah. me that this is what you did and you just put your heart and soul into it and you're like this is a store for me and I think the world needs this yeah so yeah here we this go is all I can do yeah show up and tell the story another part of our evolution though was 
when we were preparing for the second store, both Megan and I realized that we needed help. And Everave took a pretty giant step in terms of our progress when we started hiring professionals from the industry. Mm-hmm. And we hired Kimberly from Marshall Fields. We hired Christina from Nordstrom. And I think with that expertise, yeah, we hired Every started to get its mojo. Once we knew the concept was working and I would tell the story and women were connecting to that story and liking it and being like, yes, like, I need this. This was for me. Thank you. You created this concept. I'd be like, I did create it for you. That's why I created this store. We decided to bring on a trained buyer because I was not a trained, I didn't know how to plan an assortment and I didn't know how to work the, you know, the buying thing was not what I was from. So we did. A good friend of mine came on very early And I think nine months in, we brought her in. She was working for another luxury department store. I'm not going to say the name. But she came and looked at what we were doing and she fell in love. And what she would tell you was she fell in love with the purpose behind our brand. She wanted, she loved fashion, but she wanted to work for a company where there was heart and there was humanity. And we actually cared about the women that walked through the doors. And that was really compelling to her. And she saw this huge opportunity to make a difference and help us out. So she did take a leap of faith and join our company. And that was really crucial for our success. We would probably not be here today had Christina not joined our company early on to really help us with that assortment. Love it. I wonder too about, you know, you described the story of, you know, being in the dressing room and being in tears and you have young children and, you know, I think, you know, juggling motherhood and career is, you know, the age old, you know, how do we do it? It's difficult. And I have three little boys and I get asked so many times when I'm speaking and, you know, on a book tour or just in my community, how I do it. And I have the thing I say, but when someone asks you, you know, in those moments of building your business, how you did that with young children at home and kind of kept that fire alive for your Mm -hmm. career, like what was it? What were your secrets to kind of persevering through those years? Yeah, I think number one was knowing that the best gift I can give my children would be a mom who was fully alive and passionate. I love that so much. So I think that was really important because prior to, you know, when I was just dreaming about Evereve, there was a point that we didn't talk about where I was suppressing the dream and I was laying around a lot at night, watching a lot of TV, watching a lot of reality TV. And I, you know, was feeling like that was not the best mom. And I think making my dream come alive was such a important thing because I think I got my passion back. And, and Mm. I think at the end of the day, I think it's really important for kids to have a mom that is happy and fully alive and using her giftedness and following her dreams and figuring problems out and facing challenges and obstacles and getting excited and having setbacks. I mean, I think that is for me, that's a gift to give to your children to watch the pursuit of a dream. I love that. And I love how your husband obviously supported you in that. And Mike, did you recognize that in Megan? Did you see, did you notice that she was sort of having that moment of, you know, my wife is kind of, you know, things are kind of low. Like there's not as, you know, much passion in her life that I, you know, like career wise. Yeah. Yes. You know, Megan, she's always, she has a pleasant and happy disposition. Constitution disposition isn't the right word, is it? <laughs> no, just they both work. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to go with it. <laughs> Ask Sarah. <laughs> right. Yes, you will know. 
But there was a time in that range, you know, 2002 to 2004, it was evident that there was a hole in Megan's life. What it was, Megan and I weren't really sure. Now, looking back, we knew that she had a purpose beyond being a stay-at-home mom. She loved being a mom, and she was a fantastic mom, but she had something that was in addition to being a mom. And only after we launched Every did we learn that that's what it was. Mm. But yes, there was a time for a couple of years where there was, I would describe it maybe. A lot of noise. That that and also maybe an emptiness where Megan would say, you know, I'm not exactly sure why I'm not happy, even though from the outside you would think that she was happy. Mm-hmm. And crying in that night. I wasn't going to say that. Megan would cry a lot at night. And Megan was just and like, I didn't know why. Right? I don't know why because we had Beautiful great children, great and friends, great and we friends. loved it. Yes. We lived in California. We loved California. We loved I was our happy. lives. Yeah. It was such a strange time because I was happy. But you happy. would end up crying at night, and we something we was missing. But you know what? I think why. it's a funny thing to be able to admit. And also, it comes with for me to say this it's like maybe it's kind of shameful to say that motherhood it shouldn't be the thing that fulfills you. 100%, but it's okay to, to uh, want yeah. more than being a mom, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and to, to really, you know, have a calling. And, mm-hmm. and I've struggled with that in my own life. And especially since I've been divorced, having my children with me and, you know, time apart and knowing when to work and not work. But it's okay for us to have, have this mm-hmm. career. And we, it, it makes us better moms and better human beings. And I and, think it's really interesting to watch your kids figure it out. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's what you hope they figure out for themselves. Yes. So if they don't have anybody leading the way in that, then how do they figure out what their purpose is or their calling is? Yeah. So I think it's really important that they watch that yeah. happen. Well, right? I look at us around this table and I think we are so fortunate, you know, right? Maybe everything in our lives hasn't quite worked out perfectly, right? You know, but you're passionate about your work. You two mm-hmm. are. Brandon's passionate about his work. I'm passionate about my work. And you can't have it all perfect, but you can be so grateful for that. And so many people go through life just sort of, you know, miserable in their nine to five jobs. Right. Or, you know, yeah. it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool yeah. to find that thing. And you found it. Yeah. So it's, fun. it's pretty it's been rad. really fun. We did find it. And I will also say that when we started Avarive, Megan and I said that there were going to be a few things that we were not going to give up. If every were a success, but we were giving up a few of these things, then we would overall say every was not a success. Having a strong family was one of those mm-hmm. three things that we said we were not going to give that up. So even though Megan had been a traditional stay-at-home mom, but in order for us to launch Everive, to run Everive, that was going to require a change in all of our roles, including my role. So we were equal partners in opening and running every, but we were mutual partners at home at home as mm-hmm. well. We would joke around with the kids by saying, you know, that our kids were getting an MBA at the dinner table. So they were getting some valuable <laughs> teachings. They then, were getting the best education. They, they were, were getting the best yeah. education. They could ever get. Yeah. Better than anything. But you I, get in I think now as we look back, our son is 19, our daughter is just about to turn 22, that we were successful in that pledge Making of saying family, family right. is going to continue to be a priority. Yeah. And yeah. every can be a failure, but family has to come first. Yeah, I think we can look back on it proudly and say we did that. Yeah. There was sacrifice for sure made. And a lot of the sacrifice was social stuff. 
that Mike and I felt what like. What do you mean by that? You stayed home on Saturday nights and yeah. didn't go to dinner parties because yep. you were working, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, I get Or we that. were home with kids. Yeah. Or we were having dinner at home, pizza. Mm-hmm. So for us, I think for a very short amount of time, because now the kids are gone and we can have as much social life as we want. But for a very short amount of time, running this big business and running a family, there was not a lot of room for in-between. We were pretty clear on boundaries and we said no to a lot of things we said no to a lot of even family like not our little family family. extended family things i remember there was once a family reunion on my family's side that mike went to with the kids and it coincided with the launch of our second store (laughs) so megan had to stay that's a tough choice so it's like you gotta do you gotta do both right kids to my side of the family and And then you so would skip the family what are you supposed to do you (laughs) You would not go you you guys handled it perfectly you had to do both you did it we did both. Yeah. Right. So getting rid You did both. You did both. <laughs> Megan's right? mom would have maybe preferred it. Maybe my mom would maybe to, like. For, her, for Megan to have gone to the yeah. family reunion because yeah. it was on her side. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I think there was a lot of sacrifice made in that short amount of time, maybe yeah. seven years, mm-hmm. where they really, we felt like, gosh, if we weren't at work, we better be at home. And, and energy wise, we didn't have a lot of energy to be very social because yeah. we were well, like to build a company like that. And, that and you're with the all time. these people all yeah. day. You're like, I actually, so I remember feeling struggling with that a lot because social media really glorifies friends. Yes. And, going out especially at that point it was like facebook was taking that's off that's my big thing all like the neighbors everybody... were together out on like their cute little date nights yes. and i was like oh my gosh like <laughs> I i'm a loser at home i know <laughs> but i felt but what like, did you do did you just sort of like just hold up no. hold up mm-hmm. and you're focused we did you stayed focused we did. that's kind of what we you did brandon up. when you started your company didn't you just like not do any like talk to anyone for Disapp- years or something yeah but i was single <laughs> i feel like we <laughs> yeah i worked for people. seven years straight yeah brandon um, was a Without taking like a vacation. But I mean, what they did is even more remarkable because they did it when they had children. Children. And they yeah. stay together. Yeah. <laughs> and they have 90 stores. Think, it's incredible. Don't you think that the passion for what you were doing kind of helped yes. fuel you, right? Because it would be exhausting. It'd be no exhausting. It'd be exhausting. But it's exciting. Oh, when it, you was. Love it. It, it, it was. It was, was a, it was not a large sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. You were excited every day. You were always coming yes. back to the table and yeah, saying. Because your dream is yeah. coming yes, true we in were real so life excited. in front of your eyes. Yeah, we did. And, and the I harder also, you work, the better, you know. I also felt like every day I was going to work with people I loved and people I, like I had to get over the fact that like, oh, you are working with amazing women and they are your friends. So Megan and Mike, you guys have been married for 24 years or 23? You said 24? It's 23. Okay. All right. I'm rounding up. So I think that in a lot of people tend to shy away from the topic of conflict. This is just me on my soapbox. Brandon and I have had a couple of little minor skirmishes. <laughs> but, you know, I think a lot of times that, you know, people tend to shy away from the idea that, you know, like fighting is horrible. And, you know, I actually think conflict is normal and good. And I think I believe in this whole concept of rupture and repair. And when you have a disagreement, you grow from it and you become, you learn from it, you become closer. And I wonder if you can describe some moments in your marriage and in your business partnership where you've disagreed and you've really had to come around and look at things differently and work through it. Yeah, I'd like to say I'm with you. I think conflict is a good thing. Yeah. I even in business, in a culture, I think when you don't have conflict or tension, that means you're dead. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
And so the way I look at it, conflict and tension are good and healthy. So I think that's an interesting perspective. So when we do engage in conflict or tension, I don't think we feel very threatened in our marriage or even in our culture at Ever Eve with our team members or our executives. It's a lot of it is just ideological conflict. It's not personal. But how do we deal with conflict? And we've had conflict. We've definitely had a lot of conflict. I think as I look on it, I think one of the things I'm most grateful for is our commitment to talking through it. And even though it's not fun, Mm. there have been times and I think it was harder earlier on in our journey of building Ever Eve. I feel like we're over the hardest part, right? Like, but I think there was a peak where it was really difficult and it was really hard. And I think a lot of it had to do with ego and success and who's better and whose way is the right way. And, and I think we had to get through a lot of it. We had to talk about how we felt and it was not easy, but it took time. Mm-hmm. But yet I think I'm grateful because we're committed to, we go on lots of walks every night. Um, Mm. we walk almost every night together. Even when it's negative 30? Even what? Yes. Actually, yes. Go look at my Instagram. Yeah, I love that. I'm always trying to get him to go on an after dinner walk with me because my parents do that. I go sometimes. I think it's one of the healthiest things we've done for our marriage. (laughs) So with like rain or shine, you're always walking. We go and we do nights. You take the doodle. We take take the doodle. We look on our Instagram. You'll see me with like, both of us have these parkas these in your snow boots in our snow boots and our snow pants and we get out and we walk in the rain in the dark but for us that has been I think that's our commitment and now I think we're through a lot of conflicts so it's usually fun stuff but there have been many years where a lot of those walks were hard conversations what was what was one of your funniest most memorable fights tell us like what's the funny no (laughs) Did she just like do something that drove you crazy at the store? Did like Mike <laughs> tell you that you were like, I don't know. I don't know. It's probably more about how we, each other maybe, I don't know, leads or probably I think we lead differently. Do you? We're different leaders. We're different people with different strengths and different. So it's probably picking on each other and how you lead. I don't know if there's anything specific that stands out, but I think understanding and talking about how we feel. I love talking through it, though. I think that is such good advice and a reminder to us all that so often we want to hole up and, you know, cross our arms and stop off. Yeah. And it's not always I think it's not always fun. Mm -hmm. Like I think there were moments where I remember Mike was like, I don't want to talk about this. This is so annoying. I don't want to talk about it. It's so annoying. And yeah. (laughs) And yet I'm grateful (laughs) that even though it's annoying that Mike and I have always talk like yeah. it's because I think once you stop communicating and once you don't talk yeah that's when it gets really well unhealthy. that's how that's how men are though that I've read this in various like I'm kind of a hack like relationship psychologist <laughs> I love just re- edit that out. I love <laughs> I love love and relationship stuff so I have read that men in their conflict style is they're like just they turn their backs and they're done. They were like off in the other room. You think about two guys in a fight, they're just, they have this confrontation and they're done and they go off. And then about, you know, the next day or that afternoon, they're like, oh, hey, oh, hey, sorry. Okay. All right. Let's watch some football. Like there's no like conversation. There's no exchange of emotions. And we as women want to turn 
towards and face and say, let's talk about why we're upset and let's, yeah. let's work, like, let's communicate, let's, let's it connect let's... and figure it out. And men actually need to actually go away for a while, Yeah, which I don't know. I think it's very interesting and that's changed everything for me when thinking about conflict. Now Mike's Hi, been quiet. And Mike's been quiet. <laughs> well, I want to know what Mike has to say here about what do you conflict. Think, Mike? What do, do you, you think, Mike, about <laughs> conflict? Tell us what's oh on your gosh. mind. What's on your mind? You nailed it. <laughs> Good job. Mike, he's like, I don't like talking about conflict. Why don't we just talk about how we built this? You guys built this company into an empire. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's, that's, that's right. That's what that's he wants to talk about. Next question. Megan and I are like, let's, We're like, let's delve deeper into this. No, I, I do feel, here's my last thoughts on conflict is, I think like men and women are created to build and create things together. Whether it's your family or a business or a nonprofit or a garden or your home, I don't care what it is. I think we are born to create with each other. And I think along with creating and creating great things, you need different personalities and different skill sets and different talents. And I think whenever you're taking two different personalities or this talent and this skill set, you're putting it together, there's always some tension and there's always conflict. But figuring that out, figuring out how to live in that tension and build something is to me, that's the journey. Like that's the exciting part. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the joy is like, how are we going to do this together? Yeah. I love so, that. I love that. Thank you. So both of you start the second store. You went to a family reunion. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Without you were me. There, my, right? my side of the family. And now you have enough money where you can actually do a second store. That's a really great husband, by the way, <laughs> that he goes to her family reunion. Would you do that for me? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I have great in-laws. <laughs> oh. oh, that's nice. Yes, I would. Oh, I would okay. say I would do All that right. for sure. So... The second store obviously probably takes off, but take us a little bit through the journey of that and then how you've gotten to where you are now, which is obviously, I think, what, 1,500 employees, 80 to 90, 90-ish stores. Mm-hmm. Just give us a quick overview of that. Well, hiring that first Christina was really crucial because not only did she join our team as a buyer, but she also became the manager of that second store. So that was really an important hiring the right person to help grow the brand with us was really important. So bringing her on was a huge part of that second store success because she really cared and was invested and could, as she was leading the buying team, could learn from the customers and work with the customers. So I think that was really important. I would say that in the very beginning, when we formed the first store, we created an economic model that worked. And then we opened the second store, which was also in the Twin Cities. And we experienced the same kind of performance. So the economic model seemed to work twice. And so then for store number three, we wanted to see if it could work outside the Twin Cities. So we opened our first store in Chicago and we wanted to see if that same economic model worked there. And when it did, we saw this can be multiplied. At that point, we realized, okay, now it's just a matter of opening locations. We also had to break down what were the behaviors for the success. It wasn't just product. It wasn't just store location or design. It was store experience. And so Megan and I and some others wrote down on a piece of paper, a long piece of paper, all the different behaviors that Megan exhibits when she is serving our customer. And I think it maybe was 12 pages long. I think that was one of the most crucial things that we did for the success of our company. We got wow, so that tired. Sounds so detailed. It was so awesome. It was so, so like, I, I'll never forget example. that night. You know, I would bend down and look kids in the eye and talk to them when they were in our store. So it would be like literally to that like, level of detail. Oh yeah. Yeah. It wow. was like it was like 
I mean, if you worked, it was hysterical because if you worked at Everett, it was like, by the way, there's a list of 150 behaviors you're going to have to practice if you work for our company. Did, so who detailed that? Who kept we did. That? We sat one night, Mike, Kimberly, who was another partner that uh-huh. came on and myself. What we got frustrated was when I was in stores, we would see like, I don't know, the performance would be like... We called it the Megan effect. The Megan Wherever she like, went, the store would have a 5,000 plus day back then. Yeah. And then if I wasn't in the store, it would go back to normal numbers. And that was fine. Like, you know, when there were two or three stores, but then there were like seven stores and eight stores. And it was like, okay, if I was going to, I remember once going to like, you know, a Chicago store, they never had a $5,000 day. When I was there, they always had a $5,000 day. So what, what was it? Mm-hmm. And so I think we were just exhausted and I think we wanted to scale the company and I didn't want to have to be everywhere. And we were frustrated and mad that like, why is, you know, so I don't know if it was Mike's idea who, I, I mean, I, I'll give you the credit. It, it's, it sounds well, like something I would do. I mean, we say. literally would like sat down after hours, the kids went to bed, Kimberly came over and we sat down and we were like, let's list every behavior of success. That we practice. The simple right. things from calling people by their first name. name. So when you go into an Everleaf store, to the, still to this day, if we don't call you by your first name, something's broken. So simple things like that too. Sitting on the couch, talking to customers. How you talk to customers, how you hold coffee when you're talking to customers. Tone of voice. Tone of voice. Tone of voice. Low and slow, <laughs> not lower. high and low. Like I learned that Mike like, and Megan, I'm so glad you're on our podcast. No, <laughs> yeah, right. Kidding. That's the tone. I mean, it was kind of obnoxious, <laughs> but it, the best part was, here's the secret. Like it was a little obnoxious. It was over the top, but it worked. So when people came to our team, either they were open to learning it or they weren't. If we could get them to be open to learning it, it made them successful. And I also think these behaviors made them successful, not only on the styling floor, but they actually were behaviors that made them successful in life. So all these are still to this day in your like company manual? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We call we it call the, the every experience. experience. And now we call it heart. Yeah. So yeah, so there's just these tiny behaviors. And I will say we're probably not- can, like, can As, anybody get their hands on these? Yes. Yeah, you know. No, they are top secret. But I will well, say Well, no, I did teach. I, I can mean, you guys like maybe... Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe you could give them to Brandon. Here's, here's, here's another little tip though, that it was a great way. Having such behaviors listed on a piece of paper and we trained them that it got rid of people who were never going to exhibit those behaviors. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it sort of was a way of getting rid of bad apples. So in yeah. a job interview, when somebody comes in, they want to work for you guys. Do you show them some of these behaviors or is it only after they've been hired? No, no, we talk about it. In fact, we used to, I mean, I don't interview people for jobs in the stores, but our legacy lives on now. But we used to like give them to people and be like, okay, so are you comfortable practicing these? Because if you're not, you're going to hate this job. Like you're going to hate this job if you're not okay me bugging you to practice these behaviors. And I think the right people were like, yeah, I'm totally open. And like I said, the behaviors create success. So that I know is 100% true. So like to me, that's our goal. It's like a formula that it works. And so Sarah, if it you- works for you, right? <laughs> I mean... You love, you go in and you said, I just It does work. I'm like, I'm actually trying to decode the behaviors now because I'm like, let me think about this. What are the behaviors? All my favorite girls. I think they're using the tricks. And you know, well, and I want to say they're not tricks because the behavior actually starts with the heart. Yeah. It's genuine. They're they're kind, It starts with choosing. And I believe this because I had a moment 
when I was in the store after about three months of opening where I was burned out, like I was tired. We'd been open, you know, at that time, boot cut jeans and high heels were all the rage. So I was like, my feet hurt. I had these jeans on. I'd been working long hours trying to hit $1,500 a day. The kids were at home. You know, I was pulling like eight hour days, nine hour days on the styling floor. And I remember I had this moment when I was in the store and I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I felt trapped. I was like, we signed a 10-year lease. And I was like, this is hard. I don't want to be here. How did I sign this? You know, 10 years, I signed up for 10 years of this. And I had this moment where I made a decision that night. And it was, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this not just to sell denim, not just to sell clothes, but I'm going to use this moment being in the store as a vehicle to love and care for the women that walk through the door. I felt like I made a decision to make my work bigger than just selling clothes. Like it was like, I'm going to use this to love the women and learn for them and care about them. And that is when like, I think the magic happened. And, and so we really do talk a lot about, we call our experience heart because to be successful in those behaviors, you can't be faking it. Mm -hmm. Your, Your heart has to be in the right spot. You have to be there because you want to not only have this great fashion, but you want to use this fashion as a vehicle to touch lives and to help the women in the stores. That resonates with me take care so of much. Them. Yeah. Because I think that we can get to a level of success or just sort of, you know, maybe you've published your novel or, you know, my situation, I published a few books, you know, book number four would be coming out in 2006. And you sort of stop and think, oh, you know, this is getting to be kind of difficult and a grind. And why am I doing this again? Sort of like you're checking in with yourself. And that I love that the way you describe that. And for me, it was I love telling a story that people can connect with. And one of my favorite things is getting, you know, letters from readers and it just brightens my day and it means something to me. It does. And and that's more than all of it. And I still love writing a story. So you brought it back to that level. Yeah. And those women, I mean, they do. I mean, we're dealing with human beings. When you're opening a store and all these different people walk through the doors, it's a human business. It's a people business. There's no, in the world, I mean, we have such an opportunity to change the world just by encouraging and loving and caring for and serving the women that walk through the doors. So our stylists really care about that. They care about like I said, fashion, but they care about people more. Mm -hmm. So those behaviors are only successful if the stylist really does want to be there for something bigger than just selling clothes. There's a TED talk called How to Start a Movement. And I love it. It's a short little TED talk. And it talks about how the first followers are actually more important than the founders. Oh, tell me more about it's that. It's fascinating. It says, you know, founders, entrepreneurs are usually the crazy ones, right? They're the ones that are courageous. They have a lot of grit and they're a little bit crazy. Like they're kind of like the lone nut, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're willing to be a little nutty. Like don't really care about you, you know, when you have an idea and you're an entrepreneur. But this TED Talk talks about how sometimes founders are overrated. The most important leaders in a company are those first few followers, so that's even more courageous sometimes to follow the lone nut. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is fascinating. And so it talks about like this guy, watch the talk, it's hysterical because it's this crazy guy doing this dance on this hill and he's kind of the lone nut by himself. He's like making his own dance move up and he's like has his shirt off and he's like doing this dance. And, and then suddenly it's like there's one follower who's like the more courageous one because he's like, I'm following the lone nut, but he looks like he's having fun. <laughs> and then it's the second follower and then it's the third 
we had such a, I think, an interesting team of first followers that I would say that were like courageous enough to say, I'm going to follow them. I'm a first follower. You know? I was an early follower of every <laughs> early yeah. follower, but even working yeah. with us, like our Christina, our Kimberly, our Jen Ware, like yeah. we had some really brave and courageous first followers that were like, I am in yeah. to this. And I think that's really important when you're scaling, right? Yeah. I mean, would you say that's true with tooth and nail too, Brandon, that you like your early? Yes, I am a nut. <laughs> you're <laughs> the nut. And then you have a couple people that follow that. And yeah. And all those employees in the 90s that first worked for me, they were all. That really resonates because Brandon really is a nut. There's, There's a documentary really important. about it, actually. So. They're really important, right? They are very important. We, yeah, tooth and nail wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for them. Yeah. And looking back, I think that they were all crazy to follow me as well. Right. Don't you think sometimes <laughs> you're like, are you cra- you're just as courageous, right? By the way, we'll I'm link dumbfounded by that. We'll yeah. link all of these the we'll link all of these tips and books and TED Talk tips that we're hearing, these wonderful tips we're hearing from Megan and Mike. So. Yeah. Oh good. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there's seven stores. You're in Chicago, you're in Minnesota, and all of a sudden you guys have been able to scale this thing, which by the way is so difficult to do as a business owner myself. I've always known, I read a book once and I can't remember it, but there were four tiers to a company, right? And most companies are first, second, or third tier. I mean, I would feel like tooth and nail in some ways, even though we sold millions of records, we'd never had more than 30 employees and EMI was a partner. And, you know, maybe we were fourth tier when it came to sales, but for structure, really, I only managed it up to like the third tier and Mm. third tier is like 20 to 50 people and 50 to like thousands is fourth (laughs) tier. And that's hard to do. And I can tell you this from personal experience. I don't know if I could ever done it. It's difficult. So you're at seven stores. How do you scale this thing where somebody in Seattle a mom can come in and she's getting the crackers and people are looking the kids in the eye and like all the stuff on the secret sheet that I want to know about. <laughs> how, I mean, how do you scale it to that level? How, I mean, you guys literally had never started a company. Right. You've never done this. And all of a sudden you're in Chicago, you're in two states. What was it that took you to the fourth tier? How did you do that? We have a team of directors, actually. So these are some of the early successful store managers, successful store who managers, became regional, who became regional directors, who were really trained very closely by us. Like I would say, they were that first group of women that some um, of the first followers. Some of, they helped create, yeah, some of the first followers, and they helped create some of this, this secret sheet. You know, like they were the ones that they were the, some of the first ones that experienced success from the secret mm. sheet. You know I think what I mean? it's like the special the behaviors, sauce. I want to call it the special sauce. Yeah, let's, sauce. Yes, let's it is, talk about the special sauce, actually. Yeah. The special sauce, the gold, the formula. What you know? They were the ones that... I love that you're changing that. The secret That's what I'm calling it now. <laughs> um, they were the ones that I think initially trusted and were open to learning it. And they were like... Holy cow. But by the this, way, they're learning something that you two and then your other yeah, manager yeah. all wrote down one night. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's making them legit. successful. It's just, it's legit. It's so real, right? It's, it's real. not like we uh, surveyed 10,000 people. No, it no, works. It's just all three of you sitting down. Like, like I would say to this day that I know a hundred percent, like if you practice those behaviors and your heart's in the right spot, you will be successful. But the behaviors come from having the right heart in the right spot, right? They're not corporate. It's real. It's real. 
Yes. But then you it's were able real. to take what was real, find people that believed in that yes. and scale it yes. to how many yes. stores? So yeah, we're currently at 86 stores, coast to coast in 26 yeah. different states. Yeah. And like I said, I, the behaviors not only made these women successful in their interactions with customers, but they made them, they were very empowering behaviors because so many of the behaviors had to do with being courageous and going out of your comfort zone and adjusting and figuring, like paying attention and and listening and adjusting to a woman's personality. So, so many of these behaviors, and they come from a value system actually that we call heart. So they come from all of the behaviors come out of our value system at Every, which is humility, empathy, authenticity, relationship, and tenacity. So that's heart. And those are our values that these behaviors kind of ladder up to these values. So we know in the store that a stylist is going to practice humility. So she's going to learn from you. She's going to listen to you. She's going to recognize that you're important, that everybody that walks through the door is important. So these behaviors came from our value system, I would say. Wow, that's yeah. Awesome. yeah. So there's one, a one decision. It's complex. That's I love really that important. I can show up at an event that I'm going to speak at in front of 2,000 people at this big thing in Indianapolis, and three people literally tag me and say, Did you get that dress at every? Oh, that's, that's so funny. fun. And two or three of them had the dress, they owned it, or one wanted to buy it. So I mean, it's just sort of kind of a thing. Like it's a kind of a <laughs> cultural thing right now. So Nice job, you guys. Thank you. Pretty cool. Thank you. So yeah, I wore that dress up in front of 2,000 people. I love people it. I love it. I was wearing my You guys look good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's fun. It was awesome. So tell us about your latest venture, Trendsend, which you have launched in the last few years. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to create a convenient shopping experience, the most convenient shopping experience for our customer. And we wanted to do it in such a way that embodied or manifested what the every shopping experience was in the store. So it's Transcend. It's a subscription service. All of our teams are stylists. And so it's very easy. A customer can go on at Transcend.com. She fills out a customer profile about what she likes, what she doesn't like, her measurements, and then her shopping is over. Everything else is on us. Our stylists will then take that information and she will handpick outfits, about two to three outfits, five to six items, put them in a box, no shipping fee, and send it to the customer. She tries it on at her house and she can keep what she likes. She can return what she doesn't like. And again, the shipping is on us. So it's extremely easy. And all no she pays for is what she keeps. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love the element of surprise. I think it's really fun to just open a box and yeah. you don't know what's I in there. I don't know what's right? in oh, there. Yeah, it's just, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Super fun. So I have a question for you about, as we're wrapping up, just about, I mean, you have, two of you have accomplished so much together in your marriage and in your partnership in this company. And I wonder about, you know, success and this feeling of like, when is enough enough? You know, do you still get excited when you get out of bed every morning about the new thing that's, I mean, I guess it's a question about 
personality in the two of you. For me, I'm always like thinking about the next thing. Yeah. And sometimes that isn't really good for happiness because I should be in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, but it also keeps me going. It keeps me alive. And I wonder for you two, do you ever have thoughts about just resting in all of the success that you've created? Or are you always thinking, okay, what's next? Where do your personalities yeah. oh, fall? So I'm a what's next guy. You're a what's next. For sure. Okay. And Megan, you're... Am I resting? You know, I... Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like I'm at a place where I'm always trying to think about what's next. Like, I do think about what's next, you do. Yeah. but I constantly think about how I can adapt the meaning and the purpose of what I do because yeah. I'm very driven by my why uh-huh. and I'm most courageous and most tenacious when I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. So figuring out that why is really important to me. So sometimes we don't do certain things that maybe I want to do because mm-hmm. the why wasn't there. So again, I think, what, what thing is, team. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why we have been successful. Brandon, are you thinking about the why right now? Yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking they're invincible. <laughs> <laughs> we well, were talking about conflict earlier mm-hmm. and I, I've been thinking about conflict oh. a lot. Wow. Mm. He's thinking about I conflict. I think about conflict. <laughs> you know, much to our employees surprise, I actually don't like conflict with Megan. I don't mind having conflict with other people, but with Megan, I'm not a big fan of engaging in conflict. I I like having a happy wife. He likes taking care of me. Yes. Now, okay, with that's, that, that, that was your thought about life. that was your your thought about conflict. No, that was it. <laughs> that was it. That, that, that was a really that cute was... thought. <laughs> Thank you. That's profound. No, I do believe. I do believe conflict arises when obviously two perspectives disagree. I believe that in every decision, one person's opinion outweighs the other, even if it's fifty-one to forty-nine. At first, it might not be evident which one's 51, which one's 49. But how do you resolve conflict? You talk about it and you figure out which one's the 51 and which one's the 49. And I think over the years, there have been times when Megan has said, I'm a 49 here. This is, yeah, this this is, is not a deal breaker. This is not a deal breaker for me. I don't like it. <laughs> I love that. But we're going to go uh, yeah. with you, Mike. That's true. And there are times when I'm like, you know what? I'm a 49 here. And it might take a day or two to get to that. Ultimately, this is not the deal breaker here. It's compromise. It's yeah, compromise. Compromise. It's true. And, I and love it does the go, way you put that. Ultimately, I'm like, this isn't the thing I'm going to die on. You can have it. I'm going to start time. using the 49 <laughs> and the 50. I mean, once Sarah realizes that she's mostly always a 49, then <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> Just kidding. That was very profound. That was. I thought that was very profound. Very yeah. profound. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love how, by the way, um, you didn't even I, want to talk about that about 20 minutes ago. I know he's like a slow, back I know. on his own. And I have, yeah, I have a, I have a thing about why you know too about you said, do I get up every morning? And I think one of the things that I think in this part of my life, after building something that's successful, and having children that are now out of the house, I think I think a lot of time about all the young talent in our company mm-hmm. and knowing that to continue to be successful, it's not going to be through me. It's going to be through not just the young talent, through the talent. And yes, creating the next generation of leaders. So that gets me. And again, having a 21-year-old daughter who's entering the workforce has just made me even more excited 
about developing that next generation of young leaders in our company. So that's really something that I think, you know, you go through phases where you get excited about something and then you accomplish that. So then you've got to figure out that next thing. Like what's the next thing that's going to get me out of bed this morning to go to work. And for me, that's probably what I've recently discovered about myself is that's getting me really excited is this develop the next generation of leaders. And we'll go from deep and meaningful to very shallow. Yes, let's go to questions. really shallow yeah. now. Let's go to really shallow. Yeah. Well, before we go rapid fire, I'm going to ask Megan. Well, first I'm going to say that I will say that my experience shopping at Evereve over the years, I feel like has pushed me out of my comfort zone I a little love that. bit. I've always been a little bit late to jump in on a trend. Let's say uh, like jumpsuits and I know. <laughs> camo and things like that. I feel like I was the last to like <laughs> try them on, but now I love it. I love it. I love the yep. print. I love a jumpsuit. I just don't want the mom overalls. Yeah. He won't let me wear overalls. No, nothing with an overall feel like that's his only request. So, but no overalls. We'll take that to the buying team. We'll take that to the buying team. Brandon, you could be one of our buyers. So, but Megan, like what in your, you know, like a view of fashion in the next year, what's the new jumpsuit or the new camo that I need to jump on that the risk I need to try in the next year in clothing? Like maybe it's a a top. Definitely. I mean, I know you've said jumpsuit, but can we say the jumpsuit is going to be really important and is actually this spring more important than the dress? No. Yes. And you love jumpsuits. I probably would push you a little bit to wear it. Maybe this is going to sound strange, but like with a sneaker, the sneaker thing is really important. I feel like that's very New York woman. It's very New York woman, but it's very much, I think our customer is going to be ready for it and she should be ready for it. And it's such a gift. Okay. Sneakers and a jumpsuit. Yes. Sneakers and a jumpsuit or just sneakers in general are going to be really important. Definitely the non-denim bottom. So what does that mean? Like fun utility pants. Okay. Camo pants. Oh, I thought you meant like denim with no denim on the bottom or something. No, no, no. Like non, just for us, the <laughs> leggings. Non, the leggings. The leggings. Okay, like, I can do this. I love but this. But like the, like just having fun yeah. with, just more fun with the bottoms. I think we're seeing that is a huge, huge thing. That's you know what I really love is that spring. like 35 year old women can go around like wearing sweatshirts, like conversation tees and sweatshirts to yes. say things that like you could be a, like, I wear like a, I have one with a heart on it. Like I could be a 10 year old girl, Yeah, but I love that it like fashion for moms yeah. is getting so fun. It's like so fun. And when right now it's and, all joy. It's and joy. Would, color is really important. Pink, Pink is, you know, bright colors, great prints, stripes, and just having fun with mixing prints and like mixing the camo with the animal. Like the other day I wore the camo pants with like the leopard shoe and just really having fun mixing prints. And, I struggle and, with that. I'm not good color. at mixing things. I'm like, I would just wear all black all the time. We'll just come into every. <laughs> we will. We yeah, will do you watch our Insta stories? Do you watch our Insta stories? I do watch your Insta stories. I just need to like, I need some help. I need to come in and have a stylist just tell yes. me like how yes. to, you know, and they always do, but I, put I, I need a new refresher course. <laughs> Another thing so. about Trendsend that's pretty cool is every Trendsend box and 
includes a note from the stylist with suggestions of how to wear it, how to put the outfits together. And we actually put the piece together. So we'll put the top and the bottom and we'll say, wear this with this. I love that he can talk this like he knows fashion. I know. Like he knows so it. Funny. You He's know learned it. it. Listen, animal prints can be big this the Animal year. prints really big. <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's amazing. Like, you know, I mean, it's not unheard of for a man to be in fashion, but you like you speak the language. Speak the language. Yeah. Brandon, help me out here, right? <laughs> He's got nothing. Nothing. <laughs> um, I actually sold ladies' shoes in Walnut Creek, California in 1989 at Nordstrom. Are you serious? You're at the Broadway Plaza wow, there. at Broadway Plaza. Yeah. Damn. Okay, Megan. I want to ask you about your desert island outfit. If you had to wear one outfit for the rest of your life, what would it be? Great question. I love this question. A guest jeans mom overall outfit. Yes, guest jeans mom overall. (laughs) Definitely probably a Michael Starr's jumpsuit. Yes. Soft. It would be soft and Like pajamas. Yep. And it can be black. Black. And what would your shoes be? You only my get to shoes. Pick one if pair. I had one pair of shoes, with that, it would be probably something animal, like an animal shoe for sure. Like a like um, like a leopard leopard like, like Vans little, or yeah, something. Yeah, like a sneaker. Sneaker. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like that outfit. I am a huge fan of these Michael Starr jumpsuits because I wore one yesterday, and it's like wearing pajamas. Okay, I'm getting one. You can wear one with sneakers and run around town. You can put a little heel and you could go out and speak in front of an audience. And it's like the be all, do all. It's seasonless. Do you wear like a necklace around? Do you like, can wear a necklace with yeah. it. It's off the shoulder. So it's a little bit sexy. The and it's Michael's, Mike approved. It's Mike, Mike approved. approved. He likes the jumpsuit. Absolutely. He likes the I jumpsuits. do like Megan in that jumpsuit. It's everything. Nice. It's everything. That I would like be the it. idea of Megan alone on a desert island too. Oh, <laughs> oh you guys are a Adorable. <laughs> You're a poopsie. You're a schmookums. Brandon, would you say that about me? Yes, I would oh say my. that. Okay, so we're getting into our favorite. Um, Actually, can I? Re- yes. I would like to be on the island with Megan. I was waiting for that. Oh, I, no. I was actually trying to say, you should say, you should be. Actually, well, listen, to oh, listen. We are empty nesters. <laughs> we are on an empty every day. Like, She's on an island. But he's not there. Did I just hear him say that? Was the- By the way, you guys are empty nesters, and our youngest together is seven. So we oh. have a long way to go. <laughs> a long way to go. So. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do rapid fire and ask you a couple of quick questions, each of you. And I would love for you to just whatever pops into your mind, take okay. a second. Okay, Megan, let's start with yes. you. Your favorite band. Oh, music wise, band. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Or artist. Artist. I really like Matt Kearney. Yes. Need Can to you say need that with a little more need to confidence? I need to breathe. Really? I more so know. than Matt Kearney. I like Matt Kearney. He's not a. Okay, Matt Kearney. <laughs> I'm terrible at favorites, by the way. You can actually, let's do it together. Let's go with yours. Favorite band, favorite I, I musician. He, he's not going to be able to answer I that. I won't be able to answer that. I don't have any favorites. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. We'll stick with Megan. Okay. Megan, what is your favorite cuisine that you crave after a long day of work? After a long day of work, I mean, I like, I'm a pizza girl. I'm a pizza guy. <laughs> And there, pepperoni everyone, pizza. That's why they've been that's married why we for have over a happy 20 marriage. years. We eat pizza yeah, can every I say night. though that how often we get pepperoni pizza is very—it's <laughs> a rare occasion. Yeah, guys, it's if you could occasion. see them right now, they're beautiful people who are very beautiful and fit, and <laughs> there's no way they're eating pepperoni pizza all the time. 
So don't let them fool you. Megan, do you have a superstition? No. Ah, that's great. No. How about the spider right there that's right behind you? I don't think I have any superstitions at all. Do I have any superstitions? You have no superstitions? No, I'm not very superstitious. That's good. I only have one and it's about fortune cookies and I'm afraid to throw away the fortune. It makes no sense, but I'll like give it to my children and if they find it into the trash can, it's fine, but I can't physically throw it away. Okay. I'm like a crazy lady that way. That's my only superstition. I know it's crazy. I know sometimes I'll, I'll find a fortune in like a drawer somewhere, you know? Now, I'm like, oh, I can't throw that away. We had fortune cookies in our stores in I December. I know. Yes. And you want to know something oh, that's funny? Here's, crazy here's my you... confession. I actually, stylist, I bought something there before Christmas and the stylist gave me, she's like, how many kids do you have? I'm like, well, I have three, but actually I have six because Brandon and I together have six. She gave me six fortune oh, cookies that's so cute. and I put one in each of their stockings. Oh, oh that's so and, cute. But I, I actually took the sticker off of the every yeah, sticker. I totally <laughs> took it off because I'm like, Santa gave you a fortune <laughs> cookie. That's hysterical. I yeah. love it. I love it. That's adorable. Okay, Megan, do you have any fears? What's your greatest fear? Numbers. Numbers. I, honestly, that is my greatest like fear. Like when you're tipping at a restaurant, you flip out and you don't. I, yeah, I'm yeah. scared to, I think I had a fourth grade teacher. Luckily, you're married to shamed Mike, me. so all is I think well. he sh- my fourth grade teacher <laughs> shamed me on numbers. I still I have nightmares about fourth grade math do you? too, yes, Megan. Yeah, I we're do. the same woman. I mean, I'm, I have a fourth grader and I'm struggling to help him with his homework. So I love that you that's said that. why we have calculators. Megan, I've heard that you're a big reader. Yes. What's a book that either you've read recently or a book you're just obsessed with? I really am a big believer in Brene Brown's work. Mm -hmm. So all of her books have radically shaped me as a leader, as a woman, as a mom. And I just, I'm so grateful for her influence on my life. I love that. I love Brene Brown as well. And what movie could you watch over and over again? (sighs) The Greatest Showman. (sighs) Love it. Yeah. Love it. Do you have a Christmas movie you watch every year with your kids that you're always... No. I do. Polar Mike Express. Does. Yes. Mike I love loves Polar, Polar Express. Express. Do you make hot chocolate for them and like get in the... You know, I, not hot chocolate, but I love hot chocolate. Popcorn. I take care of the kids. Aww. Yeah. And Christmas Carol. The... Original? Di- no. The Disney with Jim Carrey. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I think it's pretty cool. I need to dig that one up. I'm kind of an old movie nut and a Christmas movie nut. So. Yeah. Are you? Yes. Yeah. It's a tradition. We have to watch it in our household every Christmas. <laughs> I love it. Thank you guys so much oh, for being with so us. This was so fun. This was so much fun. I wish we had Thanks for coming all on. kinds of more time to ask. Our you. pleasure. Oh, thank yeah, you. Thank you. So fun. Check back here soon for all the latest updates. And as always, we are mod about you. 